Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Hey everyone, welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin LaCrosse, and today we are going to be having a very serious conversation about addiction and how parents can help their addicted kids get out of addiction. So today I have with me Jennifer Manili. She's the founder of Manili Consulting, Inc., a coaching firm for families who have loved ones in addiction or trauma-related substance abuse. She works with the families to help them develop strategies and coach them on setting effective, supportive, and loving boundaries so that their loved ones can get the help they need and families don't go down with them. Her work is influenced by her own gut-wrenching journey through addiction. She knows what it takes for someone to become willing to get the help they need. Going through this journey with her own family, she recognizes the need for the families to get support too. And along with coaching individuals, she is a number one best-selling author of Dear Parents, Strategies to Help Your Loved One Through Addiction. Hey, Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> so you mentioned that you, you know, had a problem with addiction and you're obviously on the other side of it now. Can you just tell us a little bit about your story so listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit? And, you know, um, you know, we're obviously talking about addiction today. So how bad did it get? It got really bad. Uh, I... Let's just say that I was at at one point I lived in Virginia and Baltimore, Maryland, which is like the capital of heroin city, <laughs> um, was not that far away from me. And we were this is me and my ex husband. We were going and copping in in Baltimore City like every other day. And let's just say it's really bad when you drive up and you see like a a, a pile of people on the corner begging to sell you something. And they're all very scary looking people. You drive up one of them, they start fighting to get into your car to sell you stuff. You have to take them down the street and they will give you, they will take your money, go get you the stuff and come back. And you're lucky if you get anything at all from that point and you have no idea if these people are just going to shoot you dead and rob you at 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 some point so that's kind of where I was when um I had my addiction going so bad is it got really it got really bad I I thought I was gonna die so <laughs> yeah that sounds really scary especially it, it you know was pretty scary I look at my life today and I'm like I can't believe that at one point that was my life mm -hmm. and it was, that was my life and I was going to die that way. So, wow. <laughs> so how did you get into drugs? Like, like what started you down that path? There's, you know, there's never any, just one thing. Um, I, when I went to college, I, I grew up in a really nice home. So I've never seen my parents drunk or anything like that. And when I left for college, um, I grew up in a pretty strict home. So I didn't know how to deal with freedom. So when I got into college, I started going crazy and I started experimenting with all this stuff. And then things got really bad then. And I went to rehab the first time for cocaine. Uh, and then... I, I met someone that was deeper into drugs. So when we relapsed, we, he taught me a whole lot of, of different things that I had never experienced, had never thought I would experience, and, and ways of doing things that I never saw myself doing. And it just is, it, it starts getting to the point where you're just around people that are doing different things. And then all of a sudden one day you try it. And mm -hmm. on the outside, a lot of people look at drugs and they see people going down that road and they don't understand 
why someone would do that to themselves. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, like when it comes to actually doing the drugs, the drugs feel really good. <laughs> that's right. Why, that's why people do them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. all that ever matters. When you go down that road, all that ever matters is having that feeling again and again and again. And mm -hmm. you lose yourself in it. You know, right. that's just the way that it, that's just the way that it goes. Right. And, you know, I've heard too that, you know, as you're using it, that you build up tolerance. And so then you are constantly like chasing the high kind of thing. You are, you are constantly chasing that because you do build up tolerance and it's never the same as when you first experience it. But, you know, they call it chasing the dragon because it's like they're chasing that first time they ever experienced this first thing that's, that's new. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, all day long, you can wake up and the first moment is better than the last moment, but you're chasing it wow. always, you know, and it's really scary in that way. And there's a lot of scary things that happen in that chasing the dragon and trying to find that next high is why a lot of people end up overdosing is because they're chasing that and they do more and more and more and then their bodies just give out. Yeah, right. There's only so much you can handle about that. So, and you mentioned too, you know, um, you know, you came from a good home, you know, there was no like addiction or, you know, drug abuse in the home. And then, you know, you mentioned that you had uh, maybe a sheltered life in high school, you know, you didn't mm -hmm. get out and you didn't get your craziness out in high school. And I was wondering, you know, like, would it have been better or, or different for you like if you had been allowed to experiment a little bit while you were still in high school you know kind of while you were still in your parents home and that sort of thing see I really feel like if someone was there kind of teaching me about the consequences and the boundaries that a person should have most of the time people are drinking in high school and mm -hmm. sometimes they live in a house that will allow it to a certain extent and people get to learn under the safety of some guidance how to deal with certain things so if they get too far carried away sure like you know people get grounded and and but how to really manage yourself is really important from a young age and and i just didn't have that and that's not a judgment on my parents by the way they did exactly what they felt like was the right thing for me we never know how things are gonna come out 2020 there's a lot of reasons why i became an addict that's not the reason why i do think i would have had an easier time in college had i had experienced some of that in high school because i feel like i would have been able to be better prepared. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know, um, like, for example, reading Peggy Orenstein's books, uh, you know, Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex, you know, a lot of times when girls get into college, you know, there has been um, maybe that sheltered existence, you know, while living under the parents' roof. And then when they get into high school or uh, college, I'm sorry, that, um, there's all this new freedom and all of a sudden, you know, like there's drinking parties everywhere and, you know, like all this different stuff happening. And so it's like all this newfound freedom and not really having the experience necessarily with substances. Um, yeah. Seems like it's a little bit of a problem. It is. It, it's, it is a little bit of a problem. And I think it's interesting that it's getting to be a very, very growing problem. And, I always question why, why now, why is it getting to be so, so prevalent in our, in our country, especially because, you know, nothing has changed the amount of drugs, the amount of alcohol, the amount of all this stuff that's always been around since mm -hmm. like the dawn of time. We've always had this. Sure. So why is it now all of a sudden we're starting to see such an influx of people you know, turning towards drugs to fix their problems. And, and I think that's just it is, is we aren't taught anymore how to really handle ourselves. I, I often think back to like, and I know I I'm, sound so old when I say this, but I think back about before all the technology and all of the inputs that we're getting all of the time mm -hmm. and the way our community was set up, it was a whole lot more of a, 
an educational community where we're teaching each other and we're able to cope with ourselves better. We're able to have people talk, uh, you know, book clubs, Bible studies, all of these kinds of like guide night, all of this stuff was creating a community in order to support each other, even though they may be playing bridge or they may be playing, you know, some other, some other game or reading a book or, or whatever, those groups of people were helping people to kind of deal with whatever was going on. And now we're kind of moving away from dealing with whatever's going on. So we find other means and ways to, to deal with that. So I think it's just really interesting to study addiction and why it's such an influx. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listening to you talk, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot more isolation is what I hear you saying, that people aren't as together as they weren't, were previously, maybe in, in older times, um, there's less community spirit. And, um, yeah. you know, we work so hard, we chase the dollar, you know, it's like there's, you know, parents are busy. And so kids mm-hmm. are left unattended and to their own devices. And, and of course, you know, there's also the issue and I know that a lot of, well, I don't know how many, but you know, there's definitely a, a portion of the addicted population who, started out, you know, maybe getting medications from, you know, a doctor or dentist, and then that led them down the road into addiction as well. I, I, I totally agree with that. I don't, so I want to disclaim this, that this is not me being medical advice or anything like that. I think there are a lot of really great advances when it comes to medications and helping chemical imbalances. I do believe, and this is just an opinion, but I do believe that we way over prescribe at such a young age anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of really teaching people how to deal with their energy, their emotions, their there, all that stuff. We give them pills and we quiet all that stuff down. Right. I mean, we're talking kids are getting on medications from like five years old, you know, like especially boys. Boys are getting put on a lot of medications from a young age because they're so energetic. And it's sometimes maybe that's necessary. And sometimes I think it's just boys need to be boys and they just need to have a lot of playtime. They need to have a lot of exercise and recess and all that stuff. And then that actually works out if you allow them to get their energy. But now we're putting them on ADD medication left and right because the parents are struggling with how do they manage a wild child. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let them go. <laughs> like, let right. them exercise. Let yeah. Them out. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much stuff that has changed. You know, like when I was a kid, it was nothing to like send your kids outside to go play all day long, you know, all kind day. of thing. And you don't see your kids until dinner time. It's like that's the, the, you know, agreed upon time when you're supposed to be back is dinner time. And if you don't have the space to let your kids get that energy out, then it's hard to manage in, in, the, in the confines of your four walls of the house. You know, people are bouncing off the walls and stuff. I think it is important for people to learn kids to, you know, self-regulate, learn how to calm down, learn how to channel that energy when they're feeling, you know, energetic or whatever and Mm -hmm. how do you handle those emotions so yeah you make a really good point there so we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we're going to talk about addiction some more stay tuned whether you are dealing with your child's latest tantrum or disagreeing with your partner about finances You find yourself having conversations you'd rather not have every day. It's easy to see why we'd rather avoid talking about it. Yet putting off a difficult conversation today can lead to an even bigger problem tomorrow. How do you say what needs to be said and get the results you want without triggering their defenses and risking another disagreement that accomplishes nothing? It's time for a different approach. Robin's five-week course, Be Persuasive, How to Have Successful Conversations, outlines a step-by-step approach for the results you want from your most important and hardest conversations. You'll discover how to have more harmonious relationships through better communication, raise difficult issues without backing others into a corner, maintain your focus no matter how the other party reacts, and resolve problems once and for all. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. 
Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So we're back. So Jennifer, you mentioned in your bio um, something about trauma-related substance abuse. What is that exactly? Is that different from regular, quote-unquote, regular substance abuse? So it's it's really not. And here here's the I'll I'm a huge believer in transparency. So I I'll, I'll tell you why I started saying that way instead of addiction. Mm-hmm. Is because I was getting on the phone with so many parents and family members and when I would say addiction they couldn't hear that. And they kept saying, "Well, I really just think that they're struggling with you know, traumas that happen to them. I really right. think they just are struggling with X, Y, and Z. It's not really addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people that are kind of in the addiction community understand that the reason why people go to drugs is because they have stuff inside of them. Mm-hmm. So, because I couldn't get through while using the term addiction, when I would say trauma-related substance abuse people can hear that because all of a sudden they understand what their loved one is going through. And I just think that the term addiction has so much stigma tied to it. It's really difficult for people to get their heads wrapped around it. And I totally understand. Even for myself, I had a really difficult time admitting that I was, you know, an addict and that I had addiction. I didn't think that. So I get why people have a hard time getting their head wrapped around that term. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that people find a term so that they understand that something needs to be done. I think Mm -hmm. it's more important to find something that people can accept than spend time trying to convince them of a term that, that they just can't get their heads wrapped around. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want, they don't want to, I can see where there's going to be a lot of resistance because they don't want to label their kid as an addict necessarily. Because no, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of guilt and shame that gets tied yep. into the Yeah, you feel like a failure and yeah. all this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like that stuff isn't helpful. Exactly. The most important thing is, is that people get help for themselves. That includes the family members because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that they don't understand about someone that has substance abuse issues that they need to know. And they need to know how to deal with someone. So it's important not only for the loved one to get help, but also the family members to get the support and help that they need and knowing how to deal with someone that does have that trauma related substance abuse and and i get on the phone with people and i don't have to ask them if there was a trauma i simply know that that already exists right mm-hmm. you know cuz that's just i have yet to meet someone that hasn't had a traumatic event that's trying to cope with it interesting okay so then you mentioned um you know like there's things that parents need to know about substance abuse so like what kind of things are that like what kind of things do parents need to know about the situation i think the biggest thing that they need to know is that the same things that have worked when they were 
like children in terms of trying to get them to perform. We, a lot of times will shame people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is, is you have a five-year-old that's playing in the yard. They go to chase after the ball that's across the street and we catch them before they can do that. And we yell at them in a good way to say, you can't go across the street without looking both ways because you're going to get hit by a car. Right. But we do that because they don't understand why they only understand the immediate fear, mm-hmm, <laughs> the mm-hmm. immediate shame. So they know that they're going to get in trouble if they cross the street, but they don't understand that they're going to get hit by a car. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is a good form of shaming people to teach them how to be in this world safely. Right. When they get older, that same thing doesn't work anymore. That sure. same form of shame. But because it was so effective when they're kids, we still continue to do that and we double down on it as they get older, which actually pushes people further away. Right. And I think that's a really important thing to know is that shaming them and telling them, you know, all the horrible things they've done and trying to shame them to the point where they feel so bad they want to get help is actually fairly ineffective. It mm-hmm. only serves to push them further and further away and, and deeper into their their addiction, whereas the people who don't enable but also provide that loving support, give them the confidence, give them the I love you, I'm not going to let you treat me in a certain way, but I love you, I support you, I believe in you, I know you can do this actually helps people to believe in themselves enough to want to go get help for themselves. (laughs) Okay. So what else do parents or, you know, people that don't know, you know, might not know about substance abuse? It's really important to also think about that the person that you raised is still in there, but they're not going to act like themselves if they get so far down into substance abuse. They will do things (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you will not be able to imagine that your loved one would be capable of doing. But they are capable of doing a lot of things that you've never thought Mm -hmm. would, would someone that you knew would be capable of. They'll rob you. They will physically hurt you. It's they're more dangerous. And if someone has some system abuse and you're like, oh, my my loved one would never do that. Well, mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time before they get to the point where they are, in fact, doing the very thing that you never thought they would be capable of doing. <laughs> yes. So it's important to treat them like you do not know them because you don't know them on drugs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah, it it really is. And I know that I did a lot of things, even to this day, that like my mom is like, I don't want to hear all the things that you did (laughs) and went through. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, uh, She knows some of them because we're very open and honest, um, but she just doesn't want to know. And I don't tell her because I don't think she needs to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's true. Sometimes it's better that they don't know (laughs) the full extent. Yeah. uh Yeah. The burden of knowing, you know, (laughs) it's, it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she still hears stories and she's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear this. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what what does it actually take for someone, you know, who is in substance abuse to realize that they actually need, you know, need to get help and what makes them decide that they're, that they're ready to get help? I think that is a big question, and it's a question that is very personal and very different for everyone mm-hmm. and and every single person that's going to come to that point. What I have noticed as the kind of the guiding 
what I would say the most common theme is, is when someone finally decides for themselves that they are going to stop being victim of their own circumstances and start actually really taking responsibility for their lives. You know, we can often with trauma and all that stuff, and all that, we can often victimize ourselves and we can do things that make ourselves feel sorry for ourselves and kind of hold ourselves back because we believe that we deserve certain things and we believe that this was the life that we were meant to have and all that. And when we can kind of put that down and start taking responsibility for our lives and saying, okay, I want to now fix whatever's going on with me and start that journey of, of healing and growth and believing in myself and believing I deserve better, that's really when things start shifting. That's kind of what it was for me in the bigger picture of it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of circumstances and situations that led up to that point that's really complicated to get into, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it take, that's a whole nother like you know, that could be a three hour <laughs> podcast all in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. A whole nother conversation. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So it's, it's mostly like when someone wakes up and says, you know what, I am going to choose the life that I want mm-hmm. and I'm going to go make that happen and then be willing to go through the pain mm-hmm. to get to the other side is, is usually when someone is, is a lot more ready. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's even as someone that's been in recovery for uh, quite a few years now, that's what I look for in people is, are they taking responsibility for their lives, their circumstances, or are they still victimizing themselves? Mm -hmm. I think you make a good point as to, you know, somebody needing to be ready to go through the pain to get out of addiction um, or addictive behaviors. Cause you know, if you're addicted to heroin, you know, there's the physical pain, you oh, know, yeah. all this stuff. So how can parents, you know, support their kids when they've come to that place? You know, boundaries is the biggest way that they can really support not only themselves, but their loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, we teach people how to treat us and Boundaries is a good way to do it. And that doesn't mean you have to be harsh or push people away. It's just saying, I'm not going to allow certain behaviors in my life, but I love you. I support you. I believe in you. I'm just not going to allow certain behaviors. What ends up happening is, and I think that, that the biggest thing that my mom did for me and what I would recommend for any parent that is going through this is to get help for themselves because there's so much emotional damage that gets done while they have a loved one in addiction. It's important that the families don't continue to react from a very hurt place because unfortunately hurt people hurt people. And that goes for the families as well. The loved ones are doing crazy things and they There is a justified anger that happens because they are doing crazy things. They Mm -hmm. will do things. They will rob you. They'll do all this stuff. But if we don't put boundaries in place that says, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, you know? And and I I see a lot of times that, that parents continue to go down the road and allow certain behaviors into their lives. And then they get really hurt. They get really angry. They feel ashamed. They feel all of these things. And while those feelings are in place of decision-making, it can really impact the way they're looking at things. It's not, it's very clouded judgments. So to remove those things can be the best thing that someone can do for themselves is to come about making decisions from a very solid, grounded, loving place. And that's essentially what my mom did for herself, which ultimately really impacted me to that led me to wanting to get help for myself is oh, because she amazing. started doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She got so help we, for mm-hmm. That's cool. So when we come back from this commercial break, let's uh, talk a little bit more about what that looked like for her okay we'll be right back whether you are dealing with your child's latest tantrum or disagreeing with your partner about finances 
You find yourself having conversations you'd rather not have every day. It's easy to see why we'd rather avoid talking about it. Yet putting off a difficult conversation today can lead to an even bigger problem tomorrow. How do you say what needs to be said and get the results you want without triggering their defenses and risking another disagreement that accomplishes nothing? It's time for a different approach. Robin's five-week course, Be Persuasive, How to Have Successful Conversations, outlines a step-by-step approach for the results you want from your most important and hardest conversations. You'll discover how to have more harmonious relationships through better communication, raise difficult issues without backing others into a corner, maintain your focus no matter how the other party reacts, and resolve problems once and for all. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So Jennifer, what did it look like when your mom was setting up these boundaries, um, you know, and starting to take better care of herself? Like, what did that look like and feel like for you? It so... You know, she actually got her help through corporate leadership training. So it wasn't official like, oh, we're focusing on ourselves. But corporate leadership, you know, in order to be better leaders, you have to really get to know yourself. So she started really working on herself. And when she came to me, it took her three years to look at me one day. And this is the last day using. It took her three years to look at me and say, Jen, I'm going to learn to live without you. And in that moment, and it wasn't that sentence, it wasn't that those words necessarily, it was the energy behind it. And I realized from there that she did something that I never thought she would be capable of doing, which was basically letting me go. Mm -hmm. And she didn't believe that she would ever let me, like she was so busy trying to solve all my problems, she never sat down to ask herself if the problems that she was solving for me were her problems to fix? And the answer was no. So mm-hmm. when she got help for herself, she started discovering that these were not her problems to fix and she couldn't keep swooping in to try to save me. I needed to figure this out for myself. Mm-hmm. So from that day, she started allowing me my poor decision. So even though that was the last day using, when I got back into rehab and I started going down this road, this was the last time in rehab and now I have, you know, coming up on 13 years um, in, in recovery solid. And, you know, when that happened, she still continued to allow me my poor decision. So just because I got into recovery didn't mean that I knew how to live my life. I didn't know how to budget money. I, I, and she stopped bailing me out of it. You know, she would help me in certain ways, but she would always take a pause and really reflect, what does that look like? What are the boundaries in place in order for her to help me? What do I have to be doing in order to continue to allow her to help, right? Mm -hmm. And it was never enabling poor choices. So if I was not very good with my money and I couldn't pay a bill, whereas she used to pay my bills for me, she'd get mad, but she used to pay them for me. Right. All of a sudden she said, no, I'm not doing it. You know, and I think boundaries are really personal. 
So her boundaries with me are going to be very different than everybody else's boundaries. So that's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Other people have to find their own boundaries and their own ways of changing whatever patterns that they've gotten themselves into their, with their kids to kind of shake them up and signal to them that things are changing, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So that's really what it was, was there was like, a, it looked a lot like our patterns started breaking. And I broke some of my own patterns with her. She would fall into her stuff and I had to say, no, mom, don't do that, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So we both had our journey through this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So, and you mentioned... um you know, actually didn't mention here, but I noticed on your website, and I think it might be helpful for people just to know, like, what are the three different ways that people stop using drugs or break addiction? Yeah, so there are three ways that people stop using drugs, and that is either inspired by the families, in spite of the families, or they die. Mm -hmm. And and those, that's it. You know, families can either be their inspiration Families can either be their detriment where they have to do the recovery, you know, besides them. And I see a lot of times people in recovery have to push their families out of their lives because it's so unhealthy and it doesn't even have anything to do around the families using drugs because that does happen a lot. Mm-hmm. But it can be so detrimental to someone's recovery to keep their families in it. So it's like, do you want to be their inspiration? Mm-hmm. Or do you, you want to have your loved one do it in spite of you? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes people can be so loving and so enabling and so helpful that even that is an in spite of, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be chaotic, messy, ugly, angry. It can be so loving. <laughs> right. You know, that, that I, I've had, you know, one of my friends, she's like, my, my parents or my dad and my grandparents enabled me so much. I had to beg them to stop giving them me money. And I stayed in addiction three years longer than I probably would have without all of that. Right. Because they were so wanting to know that they loved her no matter what, that they just continued to support her and help her, but to her detriment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what would you say like to, to families who feel like they're turning their back on their, you know, addicted loved one, you know, by setting these firm boundaries. So I think language is really important. Mm -hmm. So when someone says to themselves, I'm going to turn my back, that can almost seem like an impossibility because Mm -hmm. it's like, no, I don't want to do that. But if they do kind of go through more of the changing their language that says, I am not going to allow certain behaviors in my life. You can be in my life as long as you're doing X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, I can't have you in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's more of setting up a condition that allows other people their decisions. So it's not that you're turning their back. It's just that if they don't want to sign up, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they are making that conscious decision to not be in your life. So you're not turning your back on them. They are just choosing to not have you in their life. If, if you see what I mean? So you can't sit here and say, so, I always kind of help parents get their heads wrapped around like we are not doing anything to them. We are doing everything for them because Mm -hmm. as long as you feel like you're doing something to them, that's not going to be helpful. Right. And if you feel like you're doing something for them, then you're going to be more likely to want to uphold the boundaries that you set into place, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, if they're living with you and you say, if you use drugs in my house, you are choosing to leave my house because you can't do that. <laughs> right. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Kicking them out of the house, can you're not kicking them out of the house. One, you are allowing them their choices to leave. They signed up for that. Mm-hmm. But you are also doing something for them by upholding your boundaries mm-hmm. because then you're teaching them what they can and can't get away with with you. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about sex and addiction and addiction. So if I know, I know there's like, there's a whole, like there's a whole can of worms under that, just oh, those yeah. two words. <laughs> so when I, when I say that, you know, when I say, you know, let's talk about sex and addiction, like where does your mind go automatically? I, I go to all of my very unhealthy sexual patterns when I was in addiction and mm-hmm. what it cost me. And then I also go to how destructive sex is when someone is in addiction. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I go to because you know, sex, when it comes to addiction and all that can be very destructive and very painful because we mm-hmm. do a lot of harmful things. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's go there. Let's talk about okay. these things. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Cause I think it's something important because, you know, especially, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, teenagers don't necessarily have a lot of money and sex can be a really easy way to get drugs. It can be, it mm-hmm. really can be. And it's really interesting because so many people Um, do use that form, especially women. So when you get into recovery, this is a really interesting thing. When you get into recovery, there is a significant difference between the amount of men and the amount of women in recovery. Mm -hmm. But there is not a significant difference between the amount of men and the amount of women that are using drugs. So where's the discrepancy? And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's because women can stay in addiction so much longer because of their ability to sell themselves. Men do sell themselves as well, but it's just not as common Mm -hmm. as it is when it comes to women. That's pretty much our, and I didn't go down this road, but the majority of like my friends, that's how they supplied themselves in addiction. And it's, it's such a easy form that when they get into recovery, (laughs) Sex and sexual health, they don't have it <laughs> at all. And, and sometimes people don't ever learn it. Mm-hmm. So when you say they don't have sex, are you meaning like they're just stopping having sex? Or are you talking about like they just don't have the education on how to keep themselves safe when, when they're it, engaging sexually? It's more of there's a lot of destructive patterns that get develop that carry on way into recovery because when you get into recovery all of a sudden sex is the substitute for addiction Mm -hmm. um for for drugs and a lot of times people spend you know their first few years kind of just doing whatever they want with their bodies and then they start equating sex as pain because it causes a lot of pain mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of emotional pain to be giving yourself away so freely and especially in recovery and addiction and in whatever it's just it's the sexual health is not a big focus and, and it should be because there's so much that gets tied into the kinds of relationships that they have with people whether they're in addiction or whether they stopped using mm-hmm. and they're in recovery and doing well um, we don't teach them a lot except to don't do that, <laughs> you know, like right. don't act in these ways. We don't talk about how do you act in such a way that is sexually healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like if you had an opportunity to talk to people who are in addiction or about sex, like what are the messages that you think would be most helpful for that community? You know, I, <sighs> It's so interesting because I wish I could sit here and say like I had all this great like advice on sexual health. I'm still working on my own sexual health as it relates to me in my own recovery. I have learned that there is a fine line between um, being so free with your body and then being so conservative with your body. You can create a lot of sexual problems as well. The biggest thing I can say is just, you know, for, for transparency's sake, because I'm not healthy in this area, is to get help in that mm-hmm. area. Focus on making sure that there is a sexual health component when it comes to recovery, which we don't automatically go to outside of don't have sex with people, but we have to learn how to have a decent sex life. 
and that's healthy. And we don't mm-hmm. always know what that looks like. Yeah. I can't tell you <laughs> right. myself, what does that look like? And mm-hmm. even in my own journey ongoing, as, I'm, as I think about that, I'm like, I think I need to go get help for myself to mm-hmm. learn how to be sexually healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my own personal journey, you know, like learning about my body and my sexuality, you know, a lot of it was trial and error. And as I got older, you know, when I hit 20, you know, I, I discovered like my body's doing all this kind of cool stuff and I can learn to tell when I'm fertile and all this kind of thing. And I was like, wow, you know, if every woman knew this stuff, you know, we could prevent, you know, unintended pregnancies and all this stuff. And part of my journey and my exploration has came from that place of not knowing and needing to educate myself and find out more information. And it's really true. You know, it's like sexuality is, you know, so taboo. It's like that education is missing in all these different communities. And here I hear you saying that 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 piece is missing for the, you know, in the recovery community too. It's like you don't know necessarily how to treat your body like a temple and you've been abusing your body for so long, it probably doesn't feel like a temple. And how do you shift that mindset to be able to appreciate your body and, you know, love your body and take care of your body and and all these different things. And so, you know, I I just hear the balance is important, you know, get help, I think is a great suggestion. And uh, something else I might add to that, too, would be, you know, go visit a clinic and, you know, get Mm -hmm. tested for sexually transmitted diseases and make sure that you're, that at least you're, you know, that your health is, at least from that medical standpoint is together. And if, you know, if there's any kind of sexually transmitted diseases, viruses, that kind of thing, address it so that you can, you know, come from, have that peace also be starting from a healthier place and then you can go forward from there so it kind of gives you a foundation or starting point so we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we're going to talk about this a little bit more whether you are dealing with your child's latest tantrum or disagreeing with your partner about finances You find yourself having conversations you'd rather not have every day. It's easy to see why we'd rather avoid talking about it. Yet putting off a difficult conversation today can lead to an even bigger problem tomorrow. How do you say what needs to be said and get the results you want without triggering their defenses and risking another disagreement that accomplishes nothing? It's time for a different approach. Robin's five-week course, Be Persuasive, How to Have Successful Conversations, outlines a step-by-step approach for the results you want from your most important and hardest conversations. You'll discover how to have more harmonious relationships through better communication, raise difficult issues without backing others into a corner, maintain your focus no matter how the other party reacts, and resolve problems once and for all. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Are you sick of condoms? Does hormonal birth control make you feel sick? Does it cause you to gain weight or kill your sex drive? Do you wish there was a better way to manage your fertility that didn't involve putting artificial hormones in your body? There is a better way, and I've been using it successfully to manage my fertility for over 25 years. It starts with a greater understanding of the female body and a deep dive into exploring your own body and cycle to discover what is normal for you. In my online course, you'll learn about the female cycle and natural birth control methods. I'll teach you my fertility freedom formula so that you'll know how to successfully apply this information to provide you with the level of protection you need to feel comfortable to engage sexually without fear of getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted infection. Visit HolisticSexEdRadio.com to find out more. That's HolisticSexEdRadio.com. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So Jennifer, let's talk about the impact of addiction on families. Um, Because, you know, not everybody has a loved one that's addicted and families who don't who aren't dealing with addiction may not be able to relate or have an understanding. So I wanted to 
just kind of talk about in general, like what are the impacts on families when somebody, you know, when they have, you know, a teenager or 20 something, you know, Mm -hmm. dealing with addiction? The impacts on families are huge. And I think it gets underestimated exactly how much it can impact someone else's mental health when they are constantly worried about their loved one. It also causes causes like a deep sense of isolation in the families because they get, and this is just is, it's like they get so embarrassed or they get so shameful, like they did something wrong or like this is their fault or, you know, they don't want to talk about this stuff that they remain in isolation. And when they do that, it can cause a lot of really serious mental health issues and depression and anxiety that they've never had to face before just from experiencing having a loved one in addiction. It causes people to lose sleep at night, to go really deep into their own survival mode kind of tendencies. They don't know what to do. Um, And so really, you know, they're constantly living in a place of fear and not having any way to know how to get out of that or deal with with any of um, what they're going through. I mean, parents usually come to me completely exhausted because they felt like they haven't slept in years. Mm-hmm. Families lose their houses. They lose... Um, I've known them to get divorces over this because you just can't have, you know, maybe the mom and the dad are on very separate pages on how to deal with this. And it causes a lot of strife amongst all the family units and it can really tear it. It can tear families apart and it Mm -hmm. just comes from lack of resources and lack of understanding of what to do and not even knowing or reaching out to get the help that they need to support themselves through that because they're so ashamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and that's terrifying too. I mean, you live with a constant fear that your child is going to die. Like every time the phone yeah. rings, you're afraid it's going to be the call, you know? Yeah. And, and that's exact. that's, and that's is a big thing that parents do go through is, is they're like, every time the phone rings, I'm just terrified. Mm-hmm. You know, they just get that panic and, and that's what they're living with. It can Mm -hmm. cause uh, serious mental health issues for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for everybody. I mean, the the ripples are far reaching because, yeah, it's hard to focus on your work when Mm -hmm. you're, you know, when your child is, you know, deep in the throes of addiction and, you know, you're worried about them overdosing and this sort of thing. So what about like when somebody says, okay, I'm ready for help. I'm ready to go into treatment, you know, and then, and then there's, of course, there's always a shortage of beds in the treatment facilities and this sort of thing. And so there's waiting periods. And sometimes you miss that window where they're, you know, ready to to seek help. And so what, you know, what kind of resources are out there? And what would you say to parents who, you know, the child has come forward and said, Hey, I'm ready for treatment, you know, and then, then there's no beds available. <laughs> like what, what, what do you do in those kinds of situations? Like what resources are out there and what do you do if they're not available? Um, I, I would really, I would really recommend people getting a game plan together for that because as soon as someone says that they are ready to get help mm-hmm. then you have about less than 24 hours to get them into a place before they lose the willingness. And that just Mm -hmm. is, is the way that it is. And, and so to have, to be proactive in that, don't wait until that moment happens, go ahead and get a game plan and figure out where you're going to go right away. Mm -hmm. Have that number ready, find a place, talk to them, figure out like, so that you know, from that moment that they say that, that you have a place ready for them and they are already prepared and you know, able. I will, I will recommend, and sometimes I'll take tours with parents, even if their kids are not ready yet, mm-hmm. you let them get to know the facilities prior mm-hmm. to that. So they have a landing spot for when that moment happens. Be proactive in this stuff. Don't be reactive. Don't wait to find this stuff out. Do the research before and get them ready long before they get to that point, because it'll be too late if you're trying to scramble mm-hmm. when they say that they're ready. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and I know that's depending on what state you live in, sometimes there's some programs available, although I know that in general, resources for treatment do tend to be very limited, unfortunately. It, it is. So find, the, find those out now so that you're not digging 
when the moment comes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know too that you have a lot of really great resources on your website as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like drop your website address, which we're going to have it, <laughs> have it for people in the show notes right. anyway. So, yeah. you know, if you can't write it down, don't worry, we'll have it there for yeah. you. You know, you can just go to holisticsexedradio.com and we'll have that there in the show notes for you. But can you like right. share your website and um, what it's resources a, do you have over there? It's manealyconsulting.com, M-A-N-E-E-L-Y, consulting.com. And I do a lot of videos. I have my number one best-selling book on there um, that I, you know, I give away. And I know you're going to talk about that. But um, I have so many good, valuable resources, um, questions and answers, kind of things, some of the most common answers. I have my um, program on there, the Unbreakable Boundary Program, so people can learn how to set and defend their boundaries with Mm -hmm. people that have loved ones in addiction. Mm -hmm. So it's a great resource. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's so hard, you know, when you're in a position that where your child is addicted and, you know, finding yourself in a situation where they're stealing from you and you can't have them in your house and this kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking and, you know, it's gotta be really frustrating too, because, you know, as a parent, you know, like I didn't raise my child this way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like how did this happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not the parent's fault. It's not their responsibility to like, they didn't do this. So it's not their problems to fix. And I think it's important for them to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have any final words of wisdom that you would leave with parents who are finding themselves in that position? Um, I, I, the best thing as always is to don't wait to get help for yourself until you're so desperate. If this is something that's happening, get help sooner rather than later. It can either be through me, a therapist, whoever it is that you feel like you need to help. Mm-hmm. Don't be ashamed. Don't wait. It's not going to help. Things are only going to get worse and you're going to get more lost and confused in it. Yeah. So basically, parents should go about living their life, living their best life and be an inspiration for their children and just be there, you know, waiting for when they're ready. Absolutely. Live their best life and be there for their loved one. But they have to be at their very best in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So getting help means that you're going to be at your very best in order to support and help your loved one. Mm -hmm. You can still live a good life. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Don't let them take you down with them. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your book, Dear Parents, Strategies to Help Your Loved One Through Addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? And we're uh, giving it away as your free gift today. Yeah, it's you know I wrote that just to really highlight. Um, it's not a clinical book by any means. Mm-hmm. It really is just what I see. So I go through um, some of my story. I also go through in there some of the five common areas where parents make the most mistakes in. And, you know, the first one, of course, is is denial. Mm-hmm. And, and you can read it to figure out the rest of them. I have the good parent syndrome in there. And then how to really deal with like some of that guilt and shame and and how that can impact. So it really is going through what do parents need to do and what do they experience when they have a loved one going through this. And it also tells you some different strategies, which I'll save for the, for the read, but it does go through some of the different strategies on what they can be doing to help themselves. Perfect. Sounds like a great resource. And we'll post that on the website too. So thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been a real pleasure having you here today. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great interview. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people too, because I know this is a huge problem across our country. And, you know, with people spending a lot of time home right now, you know, there's a lot of time to... Yeah, indulge in those types of behaviors if that's what you're... Absolutely. Right now more than ever, yes. Yes, so, all right. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. 
We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.